I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good afternoon to you. It's a Friday. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of an hour. The 9th of December, we are in full Christmas mode here at Ausbiz. I hope you are enjoying the start of the season wherever you are as well. Now, we've got two guests here for the hour. We've got Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Gents, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Look, the Santa Claus rally took a little bit of a leg down, Luke and Claude. But Luke, we're all just thinking about 2023. I mean, what's your, your big call for the micro cap space for 2023? Um, for the micro cap space, Nadine, um, it's, it's probably more of a hope than a call, but, but I sort of hope some of the confidence that we've seen come into some larger parts of the market, admittedly, like you said, might have exited the, the last week or two, um, but we haven't seen much of that trickle down to micro caps at all. Um, you know, liquidity is sort of one of the things I look at for, for confidence in that micro cap end of the market and um, liquidity, it's, it's bone dry at the minute. And, and I suspect that has to do with um, you know, Self Wealth and a few of the other uh, brokers have, have sort of said that retail client that, that sort of came in hard post COVID um, has really left the market, and, and those sort of those sort of people do sort of gravitate towards micro caps. Um, but even even institutional buyers in, in micro caps, I, I think everyone's um, a little bit a little bit still wary, and, and that confidence that you've seen come into the, the larger parts of the market certainly hasn't trickled down. So. Like I said, probably a bit more of a hope mm-hmm. than, a, than a forecast for me. It's always hard to sort of guess what sentiment will do. But fingers crossed, if that if that if the market can stabilise, um, you know, micro caps are, are usually the last to, to rally because of that. But uh, yeah, fingers mm-hmm. crossed that we can see that into 2023. Claude, what about you? I mean, is this still going to be very much a stock pickers market driven by fundamentals? Is that which investors should have on their mind as the new year approaches? Uh, I think that. Uh, 2023 will be a year of great opportunity for uh, small cap and micro cap investors. These things tend to go in big cycles. You have the overall economic cycle and the market and and over the long term that tends to be up. But on top of that you have the sort of money flows between uh, say more growth oriented stocks and also you know more immediately profitable companies that have less growth uh, prospects. And you have, you know, whatever's hotter in the macro economic cycle at any given time. And I think, you know, there's been a real trend over the last year uh, towards as interest rates have gone up towards money flowing towards big dividend paying companies, also commodity companies, as a lot of commodity prices have mm-hmm. gone up and they've had excess profits. So just as part of that cycle, I think there should be some good uh, software and industrial small caps and micro caps, the likes of which... Uh, Luke and I tend to follow. I think that there should be some good opportunities to buy into those over 2023. I'm going into the year quite cashed up, having been pretty patient throughout the last year in not really deploying too much. And even though we have had a rebound in the market, a lot of that has been led by sort of mining companies and and also adjacent industries to that. So 
as that cycle does turn, I think, you know, probably sometime in 2023, that's what I'm excited to, I hope, have another, uh, you know, bull run for these. What you're looking for is, you know, profitable, growing small cap companies that like are maybe under the radar. And the ideal nirvana is when you get one that keeps growing its profits and gets so big that then it gets into the ASX 200 and then enjoys a massive multiple re-rate as, you know, they have passive index funds buying and also index huggers throughout the ecosystem. So that's what you're aiming for. And that can happen with mining companies. We've seen some mining companies enter into the ASX 200 of late, but that's their time in the sun. And as the cycle changes, then there's another opportunity for another set of companies. Got it. Well, let's see if we can find any of those companies in the next 60 minutes or so. So we will be discussing ProMedicus. We will be discussing Volpara, Ascari Metals, ReadyTech, and Redbubble in this first half hour of the program. But the stock of the day is certainly not a micro cap. It is certainly not a small cap. It is Helios. Now I picked it because it's agreed to sell its Montserrat Day Hospitals unit to Nexus Hospitals for pretty close to 140 million dollars. Now the deal is expected to occur in the first half of next year. Now um, we've also got the CEO departing Malcolm Paraminter uh, expected to step down next year with the current CFO Maxine Jacquet, the front runner for the CEO role. So plenty happening there at Helios. Look at the share price though through this year. It is the stock of the day. Luke Winchester, Meriwether Capital. I'm going to start with you for a view on Helios. Um, yeah, it's an ugly, ugly chart there, Nadine. Um, and I suspect that's a reflection of the, the, the real changing mix of revenues for this business that really boomed through COVID, um, a, a big beneficiary of that COVID testing. And um, I, I've been on a couple of times with Helios and Australian Clinical Labs is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last couple of years have been a little bit, I won't say um, deliberately obtuse, but it's been difficult to really pass out the numbers as to how much COVID's really contributed to these guys. Um, I'd sort of come to some rough numbers of around you know, 60, 60%, maybe more EBITDA margins for the COVID testing. So massive profits, massive cash flow, and as I said, massive beneficiaries. Um, that's now starting to unwind. So, so COVID revenues in the last trading update down 85%, but the hit to those margins as well is, is really coming back, plus sort of calling out that um, like a lot of businesses in the healthcare space, staff shortages, sort of, um, you know, some some patchy demand coming out of COVID is starting to impact them. Um, but look, I mean, I, I've been, when, when it was on before, I sort of said for the right investor, it's certainly something you can look at. Um, put those sort of, um, I guess, uh, issues to the side for a second and, and, and the company, they've sort of said they are temporary and they'll, they'll cycle through them. Um, they really cleaned up their balance sheet post-COVID, made a, a decent acquisition um, of a business called, I actually don't have it in front of me, but that's going to contribute um, about 15 mil EBITDA next year. Um, and, you know, the business is still growing at about 5%. So, you know, I think the numbers will stay messy until COVID completely runs off. Um, it's still contributing about 50 mil um, to, to the business. That will probably, actually, it'll probably stay around for a bit, but, you know, at, at much reduced rates. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got it trading about 13 times earnings on sort of normalised numbers. I think after that, after these headwinds sort of wash their way through, it probably comes down a little bit further. The balance sheet looks good. 
obviously from a momentum point of view, no chartist would touch it. But if you are a defensive investor and you're looking for that sort of style of stock, this is something I think you can look at. Um, so I would hold it if you're there, but but definitely, like I said, for the right investor, it's one that um, you would have on your watch list and, and, and maybe potentially move on. Just reading a note coming out from RBC Capital in the wake of the announcement today saying that it expects more initiatives such as um, cost cutting, temporary increases to debt covenants, more asset sales, um, you know, will uh, still be needed to reduce the company's debt, it says, to more manageable levels. So, Claude, I believe that you've been invested in Australian clinical labs previously, considering what Luke has just said about the runoff in this massive, you know, pulse that was brought about by COVID. Are, are you sort of steering clear of this area of the market or how do you view Helios? <coughs> Uh, I think that, you know, it's always interesting to follow these healthcare stocks. Uh, and I have followed Helios over the years. It's not really been the best run of these healthcare companies, but the, you know, transaction today that you drew attention to ourselves is divesting some of their day hospitals. And this is in keeping with their strategy to focus more on the pathology side of their business, which I think makes sense because that's probably the higher quality business overall. Of course, as uh, Luke said, you know, it's, isn't it interesting how even though it's semi-predictable what would happen, uh, the share price really follows those earnings um, from COVID testing. And, you know, Australian similar clinical labs had a similar story in that, you know, the share price followed this massive earnings bump. And, if, and as you could see the testing going down, you know the earnings is going to follow down as well. And, yeah, that's where we are at the moment. Look, Helios doesn't have a good track record and and... Another bit of news today was also a CEO transition. Mm -hmm. I'm generally, uh, that generally skews me to the negative. So for example, after a CEO transition, I might at least want to wait six months or a year before uh, going into the stock. Six months could be a good amount, depending on, you know, if you already have an insider CEO, as is the case with Helios. So uh, either way, I'd be a bit tentative and hesitant to touch it right now, but uh, nonetheless, it would be great if, you know, the new CEO does get a new lease of life, take it in a new direction with more pathology, might be higher margins in the long term, should be a decent business to watch, but to not right now for me. Okay, so that's an avoid for now. All right, let's get to the list. I know you're excited about it. Claude, I've seen you on Twitter. We will begin with ProMedicus. So this is for Grace. Grace, thanks for writing in, emailing most likely. Uh, what is your current thinking on ProMedicus and whether or not it is a buy, hold, or a sell today, Claude? Uh, well, uh, so I currently hold shares at the moment, so I guess I can't really say anything other than hold. Having said that, uh, you know, the, the most recent news we got from ProMedicus was the AGM update. Now, they didn't give any financial updates. Mercifully, they're one of those few companies that just sticks their guns and doesn't give guidance either. So... Uh, we just get to have a sort of directional idea of how they're going. Uh, and, you know, they are going well and they continue. And I guess the big news from a financial perspective was that they basically saying, oh, look, we think our total addressable market is, is bigger than we used to think it was, uh, which is sort of somewhat of a moot point because really at the, at the current prices, what we need from uh, ProMedicus is just a continually expanding competitive advantage to the point where, they are the platform of choice for all the best radiologists in the world. And that's where all the AI algorithms are getting trained on. And that's where they're sold on and, and used. 
and that is the big picture now because it's trading at such a, a very high multiple. Like I can't really justify the current multiple and I have sold it around current price as well. Okay. So in the past. So I'm not saying it's cheap, but the, the, the recent news is all positive. I did a write-up on the AGM, uh, the key points, but basically it is clear that they are still in pole position to be that best platform. Uh, of course, we're going to have to see what happens and... There's a lot of ifs in the story I just told in terms of if they can justify yep. their current price in the long term. So it is a what? Buy, hold, sell today. Well, I I still hold it. So I would say for other long-term holders, obviously, if you've held it for a long time, it, if you hadn't sold any, it would yeah. be a massive position in your portfolio. So I'm guessing most people have trimmed. I'm still long-term holding this. I, you know, we need it to be uh, the number one position for a long time with a big competitive advantage for them to actually try and sew up that market over 10, 20 years. Let's see what happens. They're still in a good position to do it. Great, thanks, Luke. Uh, we don't need to go into too much of the detail of what ProMedicate does, but today, would you be buying, holding, or trimming if you, know, if you believe that it's a good company but you've made some profit so far? Yeah, trimming is probably the right call, Nadine. Um, and it's usually how I handle positions like this where it's a you know extremely high quality business you want to be there because of the execution in the past but also the potential for the future um, but the valuation prices all that in and, and realistically probably all that and then some um, you know every time I look at it I always come away just so impressed by the the, the numbers and um, you know the, the focus of the business as well. Um, well we'll talk about Volpara next which I think is an interesting comparison between the two um, so look, 135 times earnings in, in this market, it's extremely steep. You're paying for that, that flawless execution, which they have done in the past. And, and, you know, every signs are they continue in the future. Um, so if you've held this for a while, it's grown to a decent size in your portfolio. I would, I would probably just take a little off the top and, and realize some profits. Um, but I, I wouldn't see a reason to sell out of the whole position. The, these are the businesses that we want to find as, you know, Cla as Claude said at the start, we're mm -hmm. looking for him and I, we're looking for these gross sorts of investments and, you know, you don't want to be selling them, um, you know, when, when that growth path is still so large for them. Got it. Thank you. Uh, the next on the list is Volpara. Now, this is a company that I believe we've spoken about before. It does technology that helps identify breast cancer. It is uh, sort of lumped in with biotechs, but, uh, it, you know, it's really looking to make some big he uh, headway into the U.S. market in particular. Luke, what do you think of Volpara? Yeah, so look, Volpara, um, you know, they do some some breast imaging software, um, and a bit like ProMedicus, ProMedicus really dominates that that um, that compression software that they do. These guys have a, a I wouldn't say a forty percent market share, but but forty percent of the market use at least one of their products. So you know, there's a good penetration with that software suite. They're well known in their market, but where I'll compare them to ProMedicus is Volpara spends. 50% of their gross profit on sales and marketing. Um, now, ProMedic is obviously a much larger business. That's about 2%. And to me, I think that's so important for these medical businesses because um, early on in their life, you may need to invest hard into sales and marketing to really build up a brand and your software. But what ProMedicus has done so well and what other great medical um, software businesses and, and medical device businesses, to be fair, is so much of your sales and marketing is actually just done through validation of, of clients. Um, you know, ProMedicus calls out winning the, the Mayo Clinic over in the US as the number one hospital globally. It's just such a validation. And so I would like to see Volpara sort of 
hit that trajectory in their business where they're not so reliant on spending millions and millions of dollars on sales and marketing, but the product's actually able to stand on its own two feet and sell itself through these validation of customers and, and general growth. And that may happen. Um, until then, because of that cash outflow, still still six million for the recent concluded half, twelve mil in the bank. The new CEO Terry Thomas, I've heard her present. I think she's very impressive. She's working hard at sort of trying to right size that cost base, but I think there's probably just more to go, or the revenue has to, to pick up a little bit faster. Um, I'd be on the sidelines for this one, Nadine. Mm-hmm. Look, if you've if you've ridden it down and it's a smaller position for you in your portfolio, then I think you could speculatively hold it. Um, but but on the sidelines, I've got it on my watch list, but, but that's all I'm doing okay. for now until I saw a bit better execution. That's a new one, speculative hold. Got it. Uh, what would you be doing if you already held Volpara or Claude, do you think potentially it's got um, some legs going forward and so it looks pretty good value right now? I do think it's an interesting story. It has the potential to be a good quality business one day it's it's really not there yet i look it's one i've owned in the past uh and i think that i sold out in may 2022 so so this year you know as it started to become clear that all these growth stocks that weren't profitable were really going to take a real beating and the reason i sold was because it has a cost problem you know it's just grown its costs quite aggressively over the last few years and even though it's been growing its revenue as well that has put it in a position where it needed to do some really aggressive cost cut, cost cutting, or it was going to run out of money. And on top of that, it was it waited too long to to see the writing on the wall there. So what's happened is the uh, old CEO who was a founder, he's still he's still working with the company. He stepped aside as CEO. New CEOs come in. It's taken a while, but she has finally got the cost cutting going. So that means in their most recent half year result, you know, they actually reduced their loss, which is at least a very important step forward. Um, look, as Luke said, I think they, they're far from doing this cost cutting story successfully yet. They haven't yet achieved the ultimate goal, which is to become profitable, even get a reasonable margin. You know, they've got tens of millions of revenue and growing. They should be able to get a, a 10% profit margin for a, for a software company that should easily be achievable. And and it should be higher than that, mind you, just as mm-hmm. ProMedica's EBIT margin is, you know, 60%. So they've really got to prove their mettle there and they haven't done it yet. So I, I say with Luke on that one, I don't, it's not a speculative hold for me. I don't own it yet. I will be definitely looking to buy into this one as they uh, achieve that turnaround, which they haven't quite achieved yet. But good to see that they're on a potential path where they may get there and it's going to run close for them. Let's see what, like, I like the story and I would like to buy shares in this at, at one point again, but we just do need to see those profits come in, which they're now talking about in 2024, that they're going to maybe get a bit uh, uh, profitability. So it's a little bit further out than some of the other companies. You can find similar companies that are probably going to get a bit to positive in, in FY 2023. So you want to wait, you want to avoid it um, and wait to see proof in the pudding. Got it. Thank you, guys. Exactly. Yeah. Ascari Metals is the next on the list. AS2 is the ticker code for Catherine. Claude, I'm going to start with you on this mining company. Uh, yeah, so this is these guys are an exploration company. Uh, they have a few different interests. I think I, in a presentation, saw copper, gold, rarest, and of course, lithium. Yeah, so, that, that sounds like quite the mix. It sort of checks yeah, all these little boxes yeah. that investors are into. Well, as well, from the sounds of it, it looks like they listed initially more copper, gold, rare earths. And, you know, they have a strong exploration mandate, what 
you know, which they say, you know, what differentiates them is the pace we move at. So I guess they're just spending a lot of money. And, uh, you know, they recently got into lithium and they're talking of uh, get like spinning off their copper gold rarer things. It definitely sounds like, you know, a company that's cashing in on the real interest in lithium at the moment. Obviously, as much as I acknowledge lithium is going to be an uh, important part of the future, I definitely don't play in these uh exploration style companies the main influence on the share price will just be like the sociological factors of who's interested who's speculating how much it could go up you know all of those kind of things and they they can be quite hard to predict perhaps more the realm of a trader or a an absolute geological expert in terms of uh understanding whether somebody has a better deposit than other people okay got it thank you what about you luke ascari metals yeah, not much more to add, Nadine. Um, the, the main note that I have is, is I was on the call with Gaurav um, a few weeks ago, and I think Gaurav's one of the better mining analysts going around, and um, he made the claim that he thinks lithium's in a bubble, um, and there's probably not much for me to disagree with with that statement. It, it, it has a lot of the hallmarks of, of what, you'd, what you'd see in, in that sort of bubble, and we've seen it before. Lithium went through one back in, I think, 2018 or so. Um, you know, um, Claude's touched on it well. A few red flags for me where you're shifting, you know, you're shifting what you're looking for as to what's hot in the market. Um, it's based over in Namibia, over in Africa, which they claim is one of the better jurisdictions there, but I've got no real context around that. So, look, if you're willing to speculate on something like this, as Claude says, it'll be up to the whims of the market in the short term. Um, I, I, you know, I won't, I won't tell anyone that you know, not to go ahead and, and, and speculate if they want to, but just be aware that's pretty much what you're doing with a stock like this. Um, so I, I'd avoid it, but for someone who's, who's willing to take on the risk, yeah, yep. go ahead. But we're asking you for your opinion, so that's an avoid coming from you, Luke. So let's get to ReadyTech. Of course, there's an offer on the table for ReadyTech. Correct me if I'm wrong. I Actually, I should have read whether it's been accepted or not. Maybe, Luke, you can do my homework for me, please. Dig me um, out of this no. hole. <laughs> no, all good. They're, they're, it hasn't been accepted, okay. so it's a non. It's one of these non-binding indicative offers, um, and it's an interesting sort of situation because you've got. Oh, I hope I don't mix the two up. You've got Pacific Equity Partners, I think, are the ones making the bid, but it's actually majority owned by Pemba, another private equity mob. So you've got you've got you know basically a tussle between these two private equities. Um, Pemba's obviously listed the stock already, so they'd be looking for an exit at some point. To have another private equity come in and, and take it private after it's been listed, you don't see that situation happen too often, particularly when the old private equity is still a major shareholder, 30-odd percent. Um, the first thing I noted, Nadine, was I don't think the market expects this to go through because the bid's for $4.50. That's a decent discount to a, to a to takeover bid. It is one of these non-binding and indicative, and you know they're going through due diligence at the moment. We've seen some of these fall through, so um, it, it wouldn't be totally unexpected for that to happen. Um, and, and given the pricing, I think the market's sort of leaning that way. To look at the business more specifically rather than just a takeover bid, mm -hmm. um, We'll talk about ReadyTech and we've got uh, Big Tim Can later on as well. And, and these guys do something which I'm, I'm just not a fan of with tech businesses, and that's capitalising your R&D expenses. Um, it's not the, like, for, from an accounting point of view, you're allowed to do it. But but then what sort of irks me is to to, to capitalise your R&D, which means you're amortising a bunch of your costs. Then when you use EBITDA as your preferred reporting metrics, you exclude amortisation. So in effect, a large, a large lump of your development costs just gets ignored by the way that you're reporting hmm. to the market. 
Yeah, that shows up in cash flow. And so investors like Claude and myself who focus on cash flow, um, you probably don't look too closely at businesses like this because ReadyTech, you know, free cash fell from 21 million to 12 million, FY21 to FY22. Um, the only reason why EBITDA looked okay was because they capitalized more R&D. They went from five to 12 million. Hmm. It's the sort of stuff I'm not a big fan of. And I'm actually pretty surprised. Maybe strategic, I never looked at the business too closely. Maybe strategically the software is really impressive. They might have some really sticky customers and, and private equity think you can really drive some synergies or um, you know maybe harvest some cash flow out of out of the more strategic operational point of view but just looking at the numbers I wasn't too impressed by the business and I have to be honest if this bid doesn't go through which is what the market's predicting I don't think fundamentally you've got a fantastic business to fall back to and I think the share price could get hit quite hard so the conclusion I came to was that if you held some prior to this bid um, take take some profits here you, you know you've obviously got a bid it's at a nice price it's um, almost at all-time highs, which for a tech business is pretty rare in this market. Um, I, I wouldn't be jumping in today. I, I think it's a bit of a risk to try and grab, you know, what, what amounts to about 12, 13 odd percent from, from upside here if that bid does go through. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm probably more of a take profits, Nadine, um, maybe potentially even a sell. Okay, thank you. We've got a risk there. It's a sell. What do you make of Ready Tech, Claude? I know you had your hand up before. Well, Luke, did a great job of outlining a lot of the reasoning why I sold my shares in ReadyTech at about half the current price uh, quite a few years ago now. I don't think it's the highest quality software company, and I, I agree with what he said in that. It's just a roll-up of what I would say is um, probably you know, not very good quality software companies, but still profitable ones. And I do think that the thing that they were doing right and the reason that, it, that I like the business and think that maybe I have a slightly high opinion of it than Luke does is just because... I think they do have very sticky customers and that can be, you know, good at a good position to uh, build a business if you have a lot of sticky customer businesses that are throwing off cash flow. Of course, uh, if you have to spend all that and uh, you have this accounting sort of situation where you're then capitalizing your expenses, it, it you lose it in your investing cash flow line anyway. And, and so that has been, I think, you know, what Luke was talking about and we have seen with ReadyTech. Therefore, I also think you know, the takeover offer price of $4.50 is, is pretty full. And as a result of that, I do think if you're holding shares now, you're probably holding for that 10% upside. And I think what Luke was saying is that probably the downside might be more than 10% if it does fall through. So mm -hmm. you would be taking that bet, at least short term, that it will go ahead. The interesting factor, though, is that one of the large shareholders has come out and said that they're not interested in a four dollars fifty because it's not high enough, and they want and they basically want a higher price. So fascinating uh, little situation there. And in some ways, maybe the fact that there's one guy saying no, it's too low, too low. I mean, maybe it'll actually get across. Maybe he's just saying that to to make them really want it more. So uh, who knows uh, what will happen? And. Um, I personally wouldn't be playing there, but also I'm a little more positive on it than than Luke is. I think it, it probably is a sort of an investable, decent business, and it's not a terrible pump that it could go through, but I wouldn't take it myself. Okay, well, there you go. Don't take the risk. All right, let's get to the last on this list for this half of the program, which is Redbubble. Okay, so you could say Christmas is coming, you know, maybe there's a trade in Redbubble, but it has been an absolute shocker, <laughs> correct? We'll get the charts up on screen shortly. Um, is this potentially a turnaround story, Luke? Uh, I'll start with you, Claude, on this one, actually. Yeah, is it a potential turnaround? Oh, you wouldn't never, you never <laughs> want to say never, uh, but 
I don't think it's a particularly likely turnaround in the in the very near term anyway. Uh, so look, you know, you can go back. I think it was it was May uh, or quite a while ago. If you if you look at the red bubble tag on Ausbiz, you can t- find me talking about it at the very bottom of that page, sort of saying that it was a much lower quality business than people were talking about. But the thing is now, that was at a share price of $3.50-ish. Now, the share price actually does recognize that it is a low quality business. And indeed, we can all see it because now they're actually putting through those massive EBIT losses in the last quarter. I think it was $17 million. You know, This isn't even a profitable business. And like that just shows that it should, shouldn't have some massive multiple of earnings. It should sort of probably be a low PE stock, basically. And... In order to, for it to be a low PE stock, it needs to get back into profitability. And you know, they have a plan to do it. I uh, don't think their plan is particularly compelling. You know, they're making a uh, around 10 million, eight to 12 million investment in the Redbubble brand. So I think the thinking here is that they're trying to get more people to think, I know, I'll go and buy a, a present at Redbubble for somebody. But I don't think people do that. They're going to say, I know, I'm going to buy a really cool T-shirt for someone for their birthday. I know what kind of colorful T-shirt he likes. And they'll then they'll look on the whole internet, not just Redbubble. And yeah, maybe they find something in Redbubble or have a little look there, but they're not going to confine their search just to Redbubble. So I don't think it really is that important to advertise the brand. I think it's always going to be a super competitive situation. Redbubble is never going to be a brand like, you know, Gucci or some nice thing that says, oh, I'm very stylish to people because it, because look at what it makes. It's cheap t-shirts and mugs and stuff like that. So it's great. I don't, I don't get the, I don't get the strategy. I'm not betting on a turnaround. However, you know, whereas previously a couple of years ago or or whenever it was, I was saying the market, you know, I wrote the article, the truth about the red bubble business model. That is basically, I was trying to explain the market was being crazy. And now I think the market's being more reasonable. Got it. Thank you. So you would still avoid it though? I still wouldn't find it compelling. No, I I have my own hopeless turnarounds. Thank you very much. I don't need any more. <laughs> All right. What do you think, Luke, about Redbubble? Would you be wearing Redbubble brand proudly? Um, I've never actually used Redbubble, Nadine. Well, that um, says a lot, have, doesn't and, it? <laughs> yeah, I've heard mixed reviews, but um, either way, look, Claude Claude has has sort of really um, nailed this stock for a while, um, particularly the business model and, and how it should be valued. Um, it was basically a, a, a Google arbitrage um, and, and still is to a large degree. It's, it's, it's how much can you bring in customers by being the top um, uh, top result when someone searches for, you know, personalized mug or shirt or whatever it may be. Um, and then how much can you extract at the other side? So, you know, if you go back a couple of years when it was profitable, and, and we know now there was some sugar hits in there from COVID, obviously every e-commerce got that. Um, but just from a core business level, so so take away the unit economics of bringing someone from Google to Redbubble, um, there was about $90 million of, of, of um, overhead costs. And it was about how much can you scale above that? Well, as, as Claude alluded to, new management came in around that time of COVID and said, we need to try and break away from that reliance on Google. We need to stand on our own two, our own two feet as a brand. And have sort of tacked on 30 to $40 million worth of costs to the business. And has and, and obviously with that revenue line not growing as, as they expected, it now means what was a $50 million profit back in, in FY21, um, as Claude said, will we'll turn into um, some heavy losses, maybe like 20, 30 mil um, on, on my rough estimate. So, I, I think there's there's things that have to change here. I, 
I personally would like to see management sort of say that that strategy either hasn't worked or is not working and needs to be adjusted in some way. Um, if it came back to just being that pure Google machine, admittedly, you're paying a higher Google tax now. Everyone said that, that paid of, of um, that, that cost to acquire a customer from Google and Facebook has increased, but there would still be margin there, I've no doubt. So there's a business here, there's a big cash balance too, which is the one positive I do have. It, it doesn't need to go and, and get emergency capital. Um, but like Volpara, I'm on the sidelines until they can management can sort of show that uh, there's a there's a, a sound strategy in place to get back to a sustainable business. Okay, there you go. That's an avoid. All right, let's just summarize what we've learned in this program so far for all our viewers and listeners out there. So the stock of the day was Helios. It's an avoid for uh, Claude. He's sort of skeptical of new CEOs coming in, so he likes to see that wash out uh, for six months to a year. It is a defensive play, which Luke points out. It's a hold if you've got it. He thinks that the balance sheet and the repair that's being done is pretty positive. It's not his style of investment, but it is slightly defensive. Prometicus, great business in Luke's words, but he would be trimming is the way to put it. And uh, all positive news in Claude's view is coming from Prometicus right now. He's holding, and so that's his call on that stock. Valpara, it's a hold for Luke. He says that uh, what he wants to see is less spending on sales and marketing and the product selling itself. So he's staying away for now, but if you have it and you've ridden this share price lower, you could hold it. It's an avoid for Claude. He would just wait. Um, you know, really need to see some aggressive cost cutting wait till they turn profitable, which they do say will happen in 2024. Ascari Metals, it's speculative. It's an avoid, uh, you know, prove it up before either of these guys would consider investing in it. It's got a lot of those buzzwords being lithium and rare earth. So yeah, with proof in the pudding. Ready Tech, it's a risk. It's a sell actually for, uh, for Luke. And uh, it's just too risky to try to get into this company in hopes that you're going to get um, some sort of an improved offer coming through. He's not playing that game. Redbubble, you just heard why, but it's an avoid for both of my expert guests. So we are tracking a high conviction fund picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the meeting is online, but we'll also be playing it out live on Ausbiz today at 2.30 p.m. So let's just get the latest update. And we've got um, some stocks being removed, BAPCOR and Domino's, Index and Janison Education, though were added, Elder's weighting was increased. So let's see how the portfolio is performing. It's up by 7.25% on a cumulative return basis since March the 1st. So keep sending your stock requests into this program. If it gets a double buy, it's put to the investment committee. If two uh, of our expert guests say sell for a company that's already in the portfolio again we put that to the investment committee as well at cmc we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed our mentality hasn't we aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools plus our pricing is completely transparent that's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time so if you're serious about trading switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years trade cfds your way at cmcmarkets.com you don't own underlying assets consider relevant pds and tmd or information memorandum for cmc pro accounts at our website welcome back to the program coming up in the next half hour cog state big tin can holdings premier investments apply flow and laser bond let's start with cog skate this is for jimmy hey jimmy hope you're watching or listening don't forget this is information only it's not financial advice tailored to your own personal circumstances so treat it as such 
Um, Claude, I'm going to start with you because you're a big fan of Cog State just going by memory. And uh, has anything changed in your thesis? Uh, not really, Nadine. Yes, I do actually own some shares in Cog State. Uh, it's an interesting little company. I actually just uh, tweeted out its quarterly uh, cash flow chart. Uh, it's actually just announced earlier about in the last week that it's no longer going to be giving its cash flow quarterly statements because basically it's reached that point where it's sort of cash flow break even now. So it applied to the ASX to, to not do it anymore and, and, and so it won't. And so I guess that really encapsulates the fact that it's at that inflection point around free cash flow positive and profitability at the moment. And what they do is they're uh, selling tests that measure people's cognition. So a big customer for them are people that are doing trials for Alzheimer's drugs that's what's been driving its strong results recently. And, you know, I've written an article about some recent trial results that, you know, were potentially positive for Cogstate because it, it could mean that there's going to be another drug on the market. The, there's a lot of uncertainty about how all that will play out. And, and that's sort of what you see some of that in that bumpy share price for Cogstate over the last year. Uh, at the moment, uh, it, it is expected to grow. It, it is still a profitable company. It's not going to be in trouble if these new positive developments don't come through. But if they do come through, it could lead to a lot more cognition testing. And Cog State's in a prime position to be our test of choice uh, if we are going to diagnose diseases like Alzheimer's more and treat them with medicine. So that's sort of the long-term thesis there. It's just, it's a position in my portfolio. I would like to think that that's sort of broadly uncorrelated with the overall market, I could win if, if these uh, Alzheimer's drugs go well. And if if not, I'm hoping I won't lose too badly. So at $1.64, though, would you be buying today if you, you know, were out there and did, in fact, believe that thesis that it will be used a lot more in the future? Yeah, so this is a I've, I think I've paid around these prices. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but, you know, it's already a full size position in my portfolio. So I'm not buying now, but I would be happy to uh, at it if I didn't have it at, at the current price. Thank you. Luke, what about you? Um, I like Cogstate, Nadine. I, I don't currently own it. I have in the past. Um, I wish I'd held because I, I went back and had a look. I owned it back in 2016 at about 20 cents. So I'd be sitting on a pretty healthy gain if I'd held it all the way through. Um, but it's it's really cool to see what the business has become because you know the, the sort of promise that they're showing today is is what they did back then. And it's, it's, it's nice to see that um, Brad O'Connor, the CEO, has been there the whole time, has, has executed the, the vision from back then. Um, Claude's spot on. They're, they're really riding um, a big tailwind right now with the, the increased clinical focus around Alzheimer drugs. Um, now, that tailwind can become headwinds if some of these drugs don't make it to market or, or fail early on in clinical trials. And that has happened in the past. There's been a couple that haven't progressed through clinical trials and um, the the backlog of, of Cog State's um, orders, you know, obviously take a hit. Um, but but right now, the, that backlog is, is quite large and the visibility of revenue here is really strong. Um, and it's much more diversified than it's ever been in the past across different drug makers, different trials and um, even just beyond Alzheimer's alone, although it is the biggest by far. Um, it's, it's tough to value. It looks expensive on FY22 and even FY23. The, if you sort of run the, run the numbers on the guidance they gave at the AGM, profits are probably going to be flat this year. 
So it looks relatively expensive on those metrics. But as I said, because of the visibility of um, the, the, the backlog they've got, you can see really, really strong growth coming through FY24, FY25. It should be a very scalable cost base, which they've had in the past and, and, and also have sort of demonstrated now. So, you know, I could see the business quickly trading on sub 20 times earnings in a couple of years, and that becomes very attractive. So I would hold it if you're there. Um, in the meantime, I guess you just, as Claude said, just, just track that industry news around Alzheimer's approvals and what's happening. But as long as the as long as those tailwinds are still there, I expect CogState to capture their fair share um, and continue to do pretty well. And, and you know, as I said, I think it's well managed. It's a good little business, um, good IP around what they do. Um, so it's it's definitely a hold for me. And I've got it on my watch list for sure. On any sort of weakness, it's it's one I would love to love to buy. Okay, great. Thank you. Let's get to Big Tin Can Holdings. There's Quite a lot of sort of reading I've done just on Twitter and the like, um, just about what's been going on with this company lately. So it does have a takeover offer on the table, but it's also conducting a cap raise, the timing of which has been all called into question. Big Tin Can Holdings sells, um, you know, products that will allow salespeople to achieve their potential or so it says. What do you make of the business and also some of the latest goings on, uh, Claude? Right, so actually, very long ago in ancient history, I once recommended this as a buy, um, and then also, you know, subsequently would recommend a sell. However, you know, that was at much lower prices, and I was hoping that it would sort of be an organic growth software story. However, it turns out, I guess, this sort of this sales enablement sector they're in is extremely expensive. Uh, sorry, extremely competitive, and I think it's uh, not very expensive for uh, people to change providers there either. So. Probably not the best kind of software area to be in. And they turned out rather than to be focused on more organic growth, they've been absolutely an acquisition story. They love to make acquisitions. They love to raise capital, issue more shares. That's exactly what they're, you know, they've said they do. They're going to do at 60 cents per share capital raising so that they can get more cash so that they can buy more companies. So not what I look for in a software company, just in terms of the fact that basically low like low reliance on organic growth and high reliance on acquisitive growth is the opposite of what i look for and also no discernible that i look i'm not saying there is none but i personally have never been able to understand why they would have a competitive advantage over you know the many other sales enablement software solutions that are available so don't love it from that perspective also didn't like how it wanted to take over live tales which i think is even a, a worse quality software company and overall you know, this is just another negative fact about Big Tin Can, how they've, you know, then I don't, I wonder, you know, have the people that have, I wonder, have the institutional investors that are apparently, you know, going to pony up for this institutional placement, have that, were they hoping that they were just going to flip the shares because there was a takeover offer at 80 cents? Because if they were, I'm, they're going to be pretty sad when they when they realize that it's at 58 cents right now beneath the capital raising price. I don't think... It gives the best impression to people. However, you know, again, just add it to the long list of reasons why Big Tin Can's not really one that would be anything interesting to me other than a short-term trade, really, I think. Okay. Luke, do you see it any differently? Uh, not particularly, Nadine. And, and like the red flags around what's happened the last few weeks, to me, you know, if I had a position, I would probably sell it. There's just a lot of things that have happened that sort of suggest um, they, they probably don't treat minority shareholders with the, the greatest deal of respect. So, um, you know, without any sort of 
inside knowledge as to what's happened just me sort of looking at the at the facts and the timelines um you know their their largest institutional shareholder who also sits on the board which i think is important in this whole um, scenario approached them with a takeover bid apparently um you know a few weeks maybe a couple of months ago the board didn't disclose that sat on it for a while disclosed it about a week before then making a capital raise at a, at a you know fair discount to that to that uh, um, 80 cent takeover price versus a 60 cent capital raise there's a lot going on there that I think is, is very questionable from a governance point of view um, by both the board and, and, the, and the larger institutional shareholder, although they may just have been trying to block the, the capital raise or something like that. Throw live tiles in there. I think that's got plenty of question marks around it. And, and you know, even if you just want to have a little look under the hood, um, the way they approached that was, was questionable as well. Um, if I turn to the operating business and sort of put that to the side, I don't see a great deal that gets me excited. I looked at Big Ten, Big Tin Can many years ago, and the core Big Tin Can software, um, it's it's actually not really standalone software. It's just a um, an overlay for Salesforce. So you know they're basically approaching Salesforce customers and looking to sell them, um, you know, an overlay that could, could assist with their Salesforce uh, experience and software. They've made a lot of acquisitions since then. I haven't really kept up, so I'm not sure what the software stack looks like today. They've probably acquired lots of different stuff around that, mm-hmm. um, but that's you know that's an issue in and of itself. That many acquisitions. Um, go back to my point on um, ReadyTech before about capitalising your R&D. These guys do the same. You know they're reporting roughly EBITDA break even. Look beneath the hood of that cash flow. You know lost 20 mil in FY21, 22 mil in FY22. So that cash flow is just not going in the right direction. You're not scaling despite bringing in you know 100 odd million of revenue and, and you know forecasting 120 this year. Um, they made their EBITDA look better and get positive just simply by capitalising more R&D. Um, you know always keep an eye out for, mm-hmm. for that. Um, I think there's a fair bit going on here. I, I would exit this business, um, as Claude says. I don't think that bid goes through. I'm, I think that was more just a bit of a tussle at the board level between a disgruntled shareholder and the board. Um, even if you read the announcement, they haven't they haven't secured financing or anything like that. So I wouldn't sit here and rely on 80 cents as a, as a safety net. Um, and, and I think the way you've been treated as shareholders is very questionable. And I don't love the operating business anywhere near enough to, to overlook that fact. So I, I would sell this and, and move on. Got it. Thank you. Let's go to the next on the list. Premier Investments. Christmas is coming. But we've also had another interest rate hike come through this week. That being contrasted with the fact this is, from many accounts, a very well-run retailer that perhaps is looking a little cheap right now. Luke, what do you think? You've got kids at Christmas. You must, you must be doing a bit of spending, even if you've tightened your belt slightly. Well, Nadine, I mean, we get dragged into Sniggle. That's what that's what my four-year-old daughter calls it. We get a Sniggle <laughs> every time we're at the shops and. Last time I was there, I paid $20 for a packet of pencils and an eraser and I think a ruler. So, you know, whenever I open a primary investments deck and I see those EBIT margins they earn, I know exactly where they come from. So, and I bought Peter, um, Peter Alexander pajamas in the past. So, <laughs> yeah. and they're expensive. You know, ex- I find them yeah, expensive. Who's had that experience? Yeah. You, you see where Solly Lou makes his money. Um, very refreshing going from Big Tin Can to this because this is an absolutely perfectly run business. Um, the only question marks are the macro, as you said, Nadine. 
Um, the updates are still positive. Um, admittedly, there's a lot of noise to their comparative periods when you know cycling lockdowns back in um, 2022, the back end there, um, but still still showing growth on 13 times earnings. Now, can those earnings go backwards? That's probably what the market's factoring in because it's a business that historically is traded up around 20 to 25. Um, it was on not long ago, and I was on with um, I think it was I was on with Gorav at the time. And I said, this is the sort of stock that, you know, for, for the right investors who have a long-term focus, I don't think you worry too much about trying to time entries and exits on a stock like this. I think it's one you just try to build a position and back some, you know, probably the, the, the best retailers in the country and, the you know, genuine global expansion as well. Um, so I look at 13 times earnings as a decent price. Admittedly, a lot of noise in that macro and what it looks like moving forward, but you, you're backing the management team here at, at what seems like a decent valuation. So a buy for me, not not you know rush out and, and buy it hand over fist today. It's it's one you you sort of ease into, um, but it, it's one that if you're that sort of investor who wants that more defensive quality style, um, you know Premier should be a part of your portfolio. Got it. Thank you. So buy. Am I putting a buy on that? Yeah, 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 yep. Would you be buying Premier Investments, Claude? It's so outside of my normal uh, fishing ground, so I probably wouldn't. But I do agree with what Luke said, and because I essentially see this as one of the few blue chip retailers that you could buy. So if you wanted to, say, build a dividend portfolio, and as part of that, you're basically just going to be long-term buy and hold situation, and you wanted to have a few different industries, so you have diversification, you know, maybe retail has a hard time or mining has a hard time. You want to spread it out a little bit. You'd be looking for something in retail. Premier Investments is a, is a, is a top quality retail stock. Uh, you could expect it to grow its dividends over the years. Had a special dividend this year, even just based on uh, with excluding the special dividend, it was a dollar in, in so-called normal dividends, so about a 4% yield. So I think pretty reasonable. I'd look at it as a dividend investment. Having said that, right now, it looks like they're going to have a strong um, period into Christmas, but I think we're going to probably start seeing some of that discretionary retail turnover if we do have a recession in FY 2023. So I took the decision you know, quite a, a while ago now that I'm just not going to be exposed to retail, uh, you know, probably until sometime in FY 2023 or FY 2024. It's just not where I want to play at the moment. And I want to be more focused on trying to buy, you know, highest quality businesses at a discount if, you know, as growth stocks take a bit of a beating. Got it. Thank you. Now, Apply Flow. I'm not familiar with this company. Luke, did you um, do your research? Did you already know it? Uh, I'd heard of it, Nadine. I'd looked at it very briefly in the past, um, you know, come, come quarterly reporting season. I, I try to look at most quarterly reports just to get across these small businesses. Mm -hmm. um, I, hadn't, I hadn't looked at it too closely, you know, recently. Um, look, it's, it's tiny, four mil market cap. Now, what I did find interesting is there's five mil cash in the bank. So trading below your cash backing is not something you see every day. Um, the, the main reason for that is because it is still loss making, not crazy about 500,000 a quarter um, and, and and you know receipts slash revenue is, is trending in the right way so it's something that that you know I, I put it on what I call my broader watch list of things that I'll keep half an eye on and, and sort of want to be across the stock if it can sort of show that promise and execute um, oh, just to let people know who obviously may not know the stock these guys do um, recruitment software um, but 
sorry, software for recruit recruiting companies, I should say. That's the, you know, rather than being just a generalist recruiting software where you compete with, you know, who knows how many different HR softwares there are, but that, that more niche around you, you're doing the almost um, um, the uh, management software for recruiting companies. I think that's, you know, an interesting little niche. And they've got some decent customers. Randstad, Adeco were two they'd called out. They're, you know, global names in that recruiting space. Um, still tiny for me. Like I said, I'm a microcap investor and even this is small for me. Um, I put it on my watch list. It looks interesting, something to keep half an eye on, but not something I would jump on today. Okay, thank you. And what about you for Apply Flow, Claude? Uh, look, I, I largely agree with Luke. I think it's just only for the, only the craziest microcap investors would, would tread here, basically. Uh, it's super subscale kind of company. So be interesting one day in the future I agree with luke you know it's, it's on the sort of outer watch list to check back in it you know every year or so and see when it starts to get perhaps a little bit de-risked um one of the directors i think is is what the co-founder of superhero so that's sort of one little fact i thought was interesting about it but mm. other than that uh, i just think it probably has a long way to go before it would be something that you'd be even thinking might be a sustainable business. Yeah. So just super early stage, one of the earliest stage little companies there is on the ASX at the moment. All right, so we'll keep our eyes and ears out for apply flow, but in the years to come. Let's get to Laser Bond. It is lucky last on the list. I'm just trying to see who this is for. It is for Peter. So thanks, Peter, for sending us Laser Bond. I'll start with you, Claude. It's a surface engineering technology company. Um, does it hold promise for you? Uh, yeah, so I, I, own a, I own a little bit of shares so. in this, yeah. and what what it does is it extends the life of tools and also uses its proprietary technology to create some things like you know high wear and tear things like steel rollers that it uses its laser technology or its, or its thermal technology to make that uh, more durable, which you know obviously saves costs for the buyer in the end. You know what makes this business interesting, aside from the fact that you know its founding fun, you know founding family still sort of runs the show and has some of those family business qualities, which, you, which you'd love to see. On top of that, it could be a, a beneficiary of, I guess, the cost of replacing things going up. And on top of that, as it grows and expands, the service it provides to its customers is better because if they need to get something repaired or, or a part replaced or repaired, basically any shutdown costs them a lot of money. So the bigger laser bond sort of distribution network there, the, the better for the customers that I hope adds to its competitive advantage over time. You know, what really makes these guys interesting and, and the latest news was the AGM. Basically the AGM shows, well, I'll be interested to, to see Luke's take actually, but the AGM, they're not yet booking the two technology sales they're expecting this year. It can have a bit of a swing around with these technology sales because they're super high margin where it's like most, mostly licensing revenue. So they've, they've got some holdups when they're waiting for parts and stuff like that. But as that unblocks, we should have a decent year ahead, but it's not guaranteed. So I, I own some and I'm optimistic about the company. I like that, you know, they extend the life of things and, and perhaps there's more of an impetus to make your tools last, etc. when it's an inflationary environment and, and replacements cost more. Thank you. What do you think, Luke? Laser Bond. LBL is the ticker code. Yeah, I own some too, Nadine. Um, for disclosure, I've um, owned it for a while. I really like this business. Um, as Claude says, um, family-run business, been developing their technology over many, many years. And 
um, have got some really nice IP around what they're doing and um, obviously driving that themselves here in Australia um, organically and by acquisition, but then rolling out their technology through the, the acquisitions they make. Um, starting to build up a very good footprint actually in Australia. They now cover most of the, like cover all of the Eastern Seaboard, some of South Australia, and they're, they're looking at WA, which should be a big market for them given the mining industry over there is, is, is um, definitely a big user of laser bond services. Mm -hmm. uh, but as Claude alludes to, I think the very smart thing they're doing is rather than as a small business trying to go it alone and expand overseas, which is very difficult, very capital intensive, they're just licensing their technology to other people who um, you know, will then operate the machines, operate the, the workshops, and LaserBond will collect some, some nice high-margin licensing fees and some consumable products as well. So I think, I think it's a very well-run business. Um, Claude touched on the AGM update, 36% revenue growth, but considering all that's just coming from what you'd call the core business, I was pretty impressed by that. Um, they have made some acquisitions, so come the half year, we'll have to dig into you know how much of that was organic versus acquired. But I, I, I like that, unlike some businesses that acquire, and, and you know, you're just rolling up basically financials, you're just rolling up revenue and reports. These guys generate some some real good synergies from these acquisitions by by rolling out their laser bond technology. So um, even if the even if the acquisitions have driven a large chunk of that growth, it doesn't bother me too much. Hmm. Um, assuming the tech goes through, as Claude says, I, I think it's a business that could maybe do 50% revenue growth this year, which would be you know very very impressive. Um, profitable as well. They've held margins fantastic through COVID, despite all the impacts they've had. Um, inflation now becomes their next headache they've got to deal with, but they're they're managing that well. Um, so on my numbers, I think they could do maybe five to six mil net profit. And at the higher end of that, you know, 15 times earnings, I think is pretty reasonable. Um, I'm just holding, so I'd probably call it a hold to the program. But for anyone who, now this is a micro cap, I get that, but but I think it's a it's a much higher quality business than, than you know, it, it's small market cap sort of um, might allude to. So I'd encourage people to have a, a good look at LaserBond. So it's a buy. If you don't own it, look, I, I wouldn't begrudge you from buying it. <laughs> if I didn't own it, I probably would, to be fair. Okay. Um, but but I haven't bought any for a while, okay. around this sort of 80, 90 cents. So I, I have held, I must disclose. Okay, so we're going to call that a hold. Okay, guys, that was great. Let me just uh, refresh us on what we learned. Cog State, it's a buy because Claude has bought around this level. It's a hold, but both like the company. Uh, for Luke, uh, Big Tin Can Holdings, it's a sell, sell this company. Red flags are around. Premier Investments, uh, we're going to call it a buy because it's, um, you know, blue chip retailer in the words of Claude. It's not his style of investing, but Luke would buy this company because he goes and spends money at it as well. All right, apply flow. It's just too early for either of these investors. Um, and then Laserbond, you just told the guys, heard the guys talking about it as well. So that is the show for today. Luke Winchester, Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Thank you so much to you both. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks Dave. for having me. Yeah. All right. That's the show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or you can tweet as well at Osbiz TV. Now, just as an added bonus, Luke Winchester is going to stay with us on the small caps. He is bringing us three Christmas buys. We know you love your buys. You get frustrated with me when we don't get buys on the program. So Luke is sticking around three Christmas buys. Stay with us. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.